There's a law in physics that says nothing is lost. The spiritual law that may correspond is this. Not until everything is taken or surrendered will we find out what remains. Welcome to the ZMM podcast. Today we're spending time with poet Margaret Gibson. We'll be listening to a couple poems from her reading at the Buddhist Poetry Festival, along with a live conversation that followed the reading, conducted by Zuisei Goddard Sensei. I hope you enjoy. Riverkeeper. Wanting to be that place where inner and outer meet, this morning I'm listening to the river inside, also to the river out the window, river of sun and branch shadow, muskrat and mallard, heron and the rattled cry of the kingfisher. Out there is a tree whose roots the river has washed so often the tree stretches beyond itself, its spirit like mine, leaning out over the water, held only by the poised astonishment of being here. This morning, listening to the river inside, I'm sinking into a stillness where what can't be said stirs beneath currents of image and memory, below strata of muons and quarks, now rushes, now hushes and pools, now casts a net of bright light so loosely woven there's a constellation afloat on the surface of the river. So still I can almost hear it weave in and out, interstellar, intercellular, and isn't it truly all one, one world, no in or out, no here or there, seamless, as a lily about to open from just here into everywhere, is, just is. Restful lily, lucky lily. To bloom must feel like a river's brightening at daybreak, or a slow kiss, a throb in the elapse of time, a shudder of heron shadow flying over shallows that are merely the apparent skim of a depth whose bottomless surface seeps everywhere bloom and retraction, an anchored flow that upholds city and cathedral, bridge and gate, Orion, odd toad in the Amazon, blue dragonfly, what it is to love. Spoil a river, you spoil all this. To say thank you after that reading feels like thanking a hurricane or a summer storm that just blows through, leaving everything pure and astounded. So uh, let me let it settle a little bit. We don't um, have to say anything. <laughs> we could. We could just sit here. Uh, last year, you, you did an interview with Image Journal, a pretty extensive interview. And a story that you told that really caught me uh, you told about being a child and uh, going outside and looking at the stars and suddenly wondering, thinking to yourself, what if there's nothing? Right. And that uh, you use then words to reestablish presence, including your own. 
And I'm wondering whether you think that words can also be used to, in a sense, what I was saying earlier, to not know, to live within no presence or no being. And would we want to? Would we want to do that? To live without words? No, no. To, to use words to, to explore that non-being. What if there is nothing? Um, is this thing still on? You can hear me, okay. Um, I, I don't know, <laughs> actually. The, um, the way I established presence um, in that moment when I was a child um, looking up at the stars and said, uh, what, if, what if there's nothing? Um, my first response to that, somatic response, was, was that of terror. Um, and so I moved very quickly back to words, saying, but how can there be nothing if I'm here thinking nothing? Which is sort of the way we resolve a lot of things that we would rather not face. We come back to ourselves as illusory as we are, as permanent as we are, and we try to use that as a ground of um, assurance, um, but what if language were used um, not only in what is said, but in how it's said? What if language were used to establish not knowing? What if in not knowing who you are, I love you anyway? What if in not knowing what will happen next, I have the courage to walk into that moment? I think words can help us move to those places can clarify things that we don't know about what we do know. And I think actually in, in writing that is my goal um, sometimes, is to, uh, well all the time, is to find out what I don't know about what I think I do know. Um, so it's, language can guide you into that. And as I've discovered in looking for words inside the words, there are some astonishing things inside words that then, a word inside a word that then knocks the underpinnings out of the word completely, or supports it. Um, so you never know where you're going with language. Language is something we've made. Why should we abandon it? So maybe related to that, you, you've also said that, um, that the exactness of language can lead to an, an embodying, and I think you said a releasing of its mystery. And... I, when I read that, I thought, I think normally we would think the opposite, that the more exact the language, the more fixed the meaning. And you're saying, really, you're, you're, you're standing that on its head. So what do you mean by that? The more exact the language, the more that it can reveal and embody mystery. Well, we're going to try to do a little of that in the Beginner's Mind workshop, um, when you will have as your companion and teacher and surprise guest, a very real, in the sense of concrete, tangible, able object of one sort or another. Um, the more exact things are, the mysterious they are. I look at the rose and I understand the rose. I mean, I can read books in biology about the rose. I can understand my responding to its perfume or not or whatever. But the rose in this moment and my being with the rose in this moment is absolutely unique. It's unrepeatable. It's not going to happen again. Can I find the words that, that capture that? I can't say, oh, it's mysterious. That responds to everything. What about this moment? What is exact is 
mysterious. How can we say why that tree out there is there? It's there. I think everything that is, is mysterious and is a question. And um, I walk up to the things that I am privileged to see and be with as companions in this world and say, what is it? How is it? Not why is it. What is it? What is it this moment? And very often I don't get a response. Sometimes I do. <laughs> what happens when you don't get a response? I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. <laughs> or content or disappointed or whatever the mood might be. Um, it's another door that opens and you go through that door. So. And you had a, a line in one of your poems um, where you said that we think we're nouns. Yes. And, um, and, and there was another interview that you had done where you said, but we're really verbs that have settled in one place too long. I really like that. Um, how do we help ourselves move out of that fixedness, you know, whether it's through creation or through, because, you know, as you said yourself, we often, we don't want to. You know, we don't like impermanence and we fear it. And so, and, and yet it is the nature of everything. And so how do we understand that we are really verbs and that we can't remain settled for too long anywhere? That, that, that is a kind of death, in fact. Well, it's the reason I sit. Um, I think when the illusion of permanence slowly dissolves, and you watch the activity of the mind and um, see what's going on, see how it works, see why you think what you think, understand it's not, not really what it is. Um, I think sitting practice for me has been a process of making friends with impermanence, embracing it, uh, being grateful for it. You don't want someone you love to die. I don't particularly want to die myself. I mean, you know, I just as soon live forever. Well, maybe I will. Uh, there is birthless, deathless, continuing. Uh, there's a continual arriving that I experience in watching the mind um, and, a, and a quieting and a silencing. And somehow in that process, um, I think the fear that I felt... Um, as a child, when I said, what if there's nothing? Confusing nothing, perhaps, with emptiness. Um, I think that fear goes away. And as, as I was reading your poetry, and as I've been listening to your poetry, I was very much feeling um, what I what I explained to myself as the the rhythm, if you will, of the of the tide of our old age sickness and, and death and your, your expression of loss and transformation, which um, has you know, more than once been held up as, as a, a very strong thread in your poetry. And I, I, what, I would like to open this up for questions, but I, if I may, I'd like to read a quote. And this is, um, you ended the interview with uh, Image Journal with this quote, and I just think it's so relevant, especially now in our mm -hmm. social and, and political climate. So okay. you said, faced with so much that, it's that is impossible to understand, 
standing right at the edge of the mortality of everything we know and are and may come to be, what else can we do but create, make something, make it with love and clarity, make it out of desperation that turns into tenderness, make it out of the deepest part of ourselves, present everywhere and nowhere, then throw down the brush, bow to the cosmos and celebrate. Ha! <laughs> ha, indeed. And That's you, my response. Would you like to say what, what that ha is about? Because there was a poem about the painter, right? Uh, Chu, uh, I forget his first name, Charles. Charles Chu. Chu. Right. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a very long, rambling poem um, that is about fear and allaying fear. And um, it moves through. Um, some Zen, some teaching stories, uh, one Zen teaching story into a memory of uh, Zazen Kai and so forth. But but basically, the poem following the drift of the mind comes to a memory of Charles Chu and watching him um, watching him do his calligraphy or his painting. And there would be this moment, long moment, of stillness and silence. <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely glorious. That's what I aspire to. <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> um, you read a poem about the new thing you were losing after your husband. Oh, in the river, in the river poem. And you mentioned it oh, was... Oh, oh my goodness, yes, of course. Um, the one body of the world. I mean, we're, 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 we're threatening everything. I mean, we're, our presence and the way we have chosen to live as a modern civilization is, is we're in the presence of perhaps the sixth, or maybe not perhaps, definitely the sixth extinction. Mm -hmm. And we have a responsibility. It's not an asteroid hitting the Earth. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a responsibility in that. What I love... And what I'm, um, you know, the, the, the I, I was going to read a poem called Transparent, which closes one body, which is a love poem, but it's also a poem about transforming, being transformed up, you know, in, in the course of one's life, continually arriving it, into an awareness of being this one body, which does not separate and make distinctions and differences or makes, if they, if do we do, makes them in a way that brings things closer together mm -hmm. and more cohesive and a, more a part of the whole. Yeah. Um, it's, I've, uh, over the course of my writing and of my life, I've, I live in the middle of the woods. I love this earth. Um, and to lose it, um, as Chase has written so beautifully in Ghost of Eden and, and other poets as well, um, to be, to feel, to watch that happening, yeah. to feel that, to take responsibility for it, yeah. um, and to rise up in a gust of rage and compassion, mm -hmm. very important. Um, protest, mm -hmm. yes, but compassion, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. I'm curious about your. I'm curious about your pro process. Um, for example, writing poems like the ones in the Broken Cup, I think 
writing about what was happening while it was happening um, with your husband. Like, how, how do you come to such wisdom and insight in your work while you're in the thick of it, like, uh, thick of living that? Well, honestly, I don't know, um, <laughs> honestly. Um, I didn't write anything, I didn't write any new poems for the first two years, David was, we knew that he'd entered into this illness. Um, but then the, the poems started, I, I think the, uh, and David read some of them um, at, that, you know, at that point he could, and he, he still could. Um, through it. I think it's a way, for me, writing has become another sense. Uh, language, words are just the way the mind senses the world and makes sense of things. But not, the whole body needs to be into that process. And I, I say, how do you write and gain wisdom in the thick of things? I think that's where wisdom is, isn't it? Is it anywhere else? Where else would it be? Beats me. I think you enter, you don't know. You don't know whether you, when you, I don't know when I start writing a poem whether it's going to be wise or it's going to be drivel and I'm just going to end up over here. But you enter and you follow and listen. Lots of listening. Lots of stillness in poems. Um, it's certainly a lot of stillness in the process of making poems. Um, that elegy, a mature form, is a kind of a word spill. That's just a word translation of, at the time I was doing it, there was no language. I was just doing, 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 because the bird was dying. And what was I going to do? And done, doing, doing, doing. But later when I thought to write it, I thought, well, maybe language can capture that doing. That's... It, it's, a, it's a hypothesis. Maybe language can help me catch. Maybe I won't. Re the, maybe what I understand won't be translatable into language, but maybe words can k help me move to that place. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know. So maybe we have time for for one more. Hi, I'm new to this whole genre and. Um, the grief is pretty strong, and I'm wondering how you balance um, your your poems. Seem to be healing process. Um, where do you have any advice for joy? <laughs> do I have any advice <laughs> for joy? <laughs> same mean, advice. You, same advice as advice as, as as advice for grief. Feel it. Go all the way through it get to the other side, stand there, don't say anything, <laughs> just stand there. Same thing. Thanks for listening. The Buddhist Poetry Festival took place at Zen Mountain Monastery from July 5th to 8th, 2018. To find out more about the festival and its presenters, visit BuddhistPoetryFestival.org. And to explore other programs at Zen Mountain Monastery, log on to our new website, 
zmm.org. We'll finish today with an especially timely poem Margaret Gibson offered to conclude the festival on Saturday evening, July 7th. This is called Always an Immigrant. Always an immigrant, the heart crosses borders and boundaries. It trespasses, it will not be held back. Wind-swept, sea-swept, star-swept, it is poor, porous, permeable. It is outcry and prayer and a murmur that ends with a question mark. Tell me, is it inside you, the immigrant heart, or are you inside it? I only know it contains multitudes, this heart whose color is not red or black or brown or yellow or white. The immigrant heart is transparent. There is a light inside it. It fuels galaxies, nurses a child holds your beloved as he sinks over his last threshold, a thread of golden light just visible along the border of his body. Look, the immigrant heart runs naked along the tide line, kisses both bandage and wound, holds a cup to the mouth that thirsts, and the cup runneth over. It leaps with the suicide into the waterfall river, carries the school books, translates the law and transforms it. This heart is the heart of the world. It brings the children out of cages, crates, and sealed truck beds. What is it, you ask? What is this immigrant heart if not sweat, if not nectar, if not salt, if not aloe, if not what the sages have promised? No, not the captains of industry the sages in their desert hovels and prison cells, the sages on the street corners and in the subway turnstiles. They know how the immigrant heart gives from its own boundless mercy and light, crossing into beatitude and bliss, into pain and rejection. This heart, a new life always arriving. Your body, my body, one body in the makeshift shelter we call our lives.